0: One of the growing challenges that businesses and communities and especially as I'm talking to us this morning, the community of faith, will face is how to blend together four generations. You know that? there's Never before have there been four generations gathered together in business or in community. So if you were born before 1945, you're called a traditionalist. If you're born from 46 to 64, you're called what? Baby boomers. If you're born between 1965 and 1980, you're called what? Gen Xers. And if you were born between 1981 and 2001, you are called what? Millennials. And each generation has surprising differences which are then reflected in the fact that between those generations, there is misunderstanding, there are irritations, and there is a whole lot of stereotyping. Uh, like, for instance, the stereotyping done by this millennial, Michael Tyler, in this video.
1: There he sits inside a local coffee shop. Sporting, I mean, burning facial hair. Somehow he believes, although he has no job, that by his 30s he will be a millionaire. M-I-L-L-E-N-N-I-A-L. Gotta love millennials. Selfies on her Instagram with a quote that's inspirational. Hopes to change the world while wearing yoga pants on with her dreams and knowledge of essential oils. M-I-L-L-E-N-N-I-A. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Am I?
0: Let's pray for millennials. (laughs) Uh, Let's pray for traditionalists. Let's pray for boomers. Let's pray for Xers. Because the, the truth of the matter is this, that within all of us is both the beautiful and the twisted, which makes it difficult to love sometimes. A great surgeon named Richard Selzer had to cut into the face of a very lovely young woman to be able to take out a rather large tumor. And although he he did his best in the course of the surgery, he severed a tiny twig of a nerve that connected to a muscle in her mouth. Her once lovely face would then remain grotesquely twisted in a disfigurement that she would have for the rest of her life. Before the surgery, she had one of those faces, one of those lovely, beautiful faces that people actually would stop and stare at her as she would walk by. They would never do that again, or at least if they stared, it wouldn't be for that reason. So she sat on the bed with her husband after the surgery, and she asked for a mirror. She looked in the mirror, and then she turned to Dr. Selzer, and she said... Will my face always look like this? And he said, Yes, we have to cut the nerve. And then she grew quiet and silent. Her husband smiled, and he said, You know, I I think it's cute. Uh, I like it. And then to add exclamation point, he bent down to kiss her crooked mouth. And Seltzer then commented, He said this, I am so close, I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate hers, to show her her kiss still works. We're made to do that. When life gets twisted for some folks, and we just heard about that this morning right here, we are to show that love still works. Seltzer knows where that love comes from because he states this. He says, I know it is the marred and the scarred and the faulty that are subject to grace, but I would seek the soul. Yes, it is the exact location of the soul I'm after. I have caught a glimpse of it because, see, it's, it's out of the soul. We've been talking about that these last weeks. It's out of the soul that love pours. There are, there are really two great words that come from the Holy Scriptures that describe how relationships work. And the first is this, to bless, and the second one is to curse. And we are created to be blessed and to bless. The soul is created by God to bless and be blessed, to give good. And because we are people with wills, In every encounter we have, in every encounter you had this morning, when you drove here, when you said hi to folks, when you sat down next to them during the five-minute greeting, you either cursed or you blessed. It's one or the other. There's no in between. You either gave good or you withheld good. Blessing is not just a word. Blessing is the projection of good into the life of another. We must think it, we must feel it, and will it we communicate it with our bodies. Blessing is a kind of like an ancient dance of the hokey-pokey. Remember the hokey-pokey? Before you finish, you have to put your whole self in. And blessing is done with the soul. It is the soul's responsibility. And if you, don't, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, go back onto our website and listen to the podcast. It will explain this more in depth. But the soul is responsible for integrating what we call the heart, which is the will. It it, it gives us the ability to bring things into existence. What what influences the will is the mind. The mind makes us conscious. The The mind is our desires. It is our thoughts. It's our values. It's our conscience. And these two together then instruct the body what it should do. And the body is our own little separate kingdom where our will can have the ability to dictate what we do. And what the body is supposed to accomplish for us. And the soul's responsibility is to integrate all of these in one direction for one specific purpose, and that is to bless. And if the soul is not postured toward that outcome, then we don't bless. And in place of that, we curse. We are made to be blessed and to bless. And if it's void with us giving or receiving a blessing, it creates havoc within us, and we are not integrated, but we become disintegrated. So how do we learn to love and to bless, especially in community? Now just look around at the people around you. Just look at them. How do we learn to bless those folks? Because in your eyes, some of them are twisted. How do you take care of that? In the first century, the Apostle Peter wrote a very warm and encouraging letter to the community of faith that was scattered throughout the area. They were all dealing with the same problem, and it's this. They were trying to live a life of following Jesus in a culture that believed in worshiping many gods, and at the same time were very... They were very devoted to rejecting anyone who would say there's only one way to God and especially the one way being a God who supposedly now lives even though the Romans had killed him and put him in a tomb. And in order to make it through the really tough moments, he said, here's what you need to do. You've got to learn how to do life together and specifically, you need to learn how to bless each other. I read the other day where a guy said the church so desperately needs to train people how to bless each other. We need to know how to do that. And it's more than, hey, God bless you. Or you saying, I'm blessed. It means actually doing it. So Peter writes these words. The Apostle Peter says this Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. He said, You're called to bless. So I want to just get this straight with you right now. So hear me. We can do this because Jesus has given us the ability to accomplish this. As Jesus loves, so we can love. As Jesus blessed, so that we can bless. And so that to happen, I'm going to give you some some practical movement I think we need to make as a church. Number one is this, that we need to make time to soul blend So I want to try something with you this morning. In in the count of three in just a moment, I want you to just pick out a song that you really like, and I want you to start singing it as loud as you can. Okay? Some of you can't think of one, just go with the hokey pokey. I just mentioned that. You'll be good. All right? On the count of three, you ready? As loud as you can. One, two, three. Okay, that's good. actually it's not good see that might have sounded really good in your head but out here that sounded horrible and that's what happens when everybody's soul decides to do its own thing now here's what I want you to do especially you that can sing harmony I want you to sing with me, and I want you all to sing the same song, and I want you to find some harmony, and I want you to be the choir, and I want you to sing this with me now. You ready? Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy all together wonderful to me. Now, what you just did is what Peter said we must do, and he said we must live in harmony. That word live actually means to shape, to model our spirit, and our spirit is this. It's what the soul tries to direct. The body, mind, and heart is the spirit of who we are. He said, I want you to shape that. I want the soul to shape that. I want it modeled so that it comes into a pattern of harmony as the early church did right after its birth. Here's what Luke wrote about that. He said this, Now the full number of those who believed were of what? One. One heart and one soul. One spirit controlled by the soul. That the soul said, I'm going to take your spirit as we direct it to do so, and I'm going to shape it so that it connects with the person next to me and their spirit so that those spirits kiss. And when that happens, when there is that soul blend, it becomes extremely obvious to those who are observing. Because this is what happened in this case in the first century. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in what? Common, which means this. I shape my life in a way that I can fit it into your life so that it is not mine and yours, but it's now us. Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, called that to stand firm in one spirit. It means that I am so... Now, this is going to get real practical, so hang with me. It means that I trust the Holy Spirit that lives within me so much that I can shape my mind so that I can shape my desires and my biases, my history, my traditions. I can shape them so that I can fit them into somebody else's mind so that I can pour into them and release my own biases so that I can connect with them so that we can become one. As long as, as long as the person I'm fitting into and their life that I'm fitting into, and as long as I'm not or they're not anti-Jesus or unscriptural. Living in harmony is shaping our minds and souls as one. A few breaths later, in this passage, we heard him say, Peter said, to do this, you have to be humble. To be humble means that I must reject the notion that I am a superior breed of Christian, that that, that I understand better what needs to be done than you do. Now, we're not talking about leadership and, and honoring leadership. That's a whole different case. This is just in, in body life and community life. I have some friends who have left... The community of faith as it gathers together, they don't do that anymore because, because they felt like the community of faith wasn't mature enough, or that the body of Christ is, doesn't really hunger for the word of God enough, or they don't worship good enough. They, there's something about them, they say it's, just, it's not where it should be, and so they do their thing at home by themselves. And they feel like they're blessing themselves by doing that. Well, they think they're blessing themselves, but according to what I've been reading in scripture, we are made so that our souls connect. And if I am not blessing others and receiving from others, then I'm bringing curses to myself. And if I withdraw my family from the community of faith, I have brought a curse into my family. Because the souls have to blend together. So you say, okay, well, then I'll just come down off my perch and I'll go mingle with those who are beneath me in thought and holiness. No, 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 because humility says it's not me and it's not you, it's us. That is how God created us. So I have this inner law within me that says that whoever's driving the car has the right to decide the route to take and where to park it. My wife <laughs> believes that anybody can shout at any moment what they believe should be the route or the parking place. And it bothers me. And so I believe she's wrong. And I believe when we get before God, he will... Confirmed that. So, one day she said to me, We've had this discussion for, for over 40 years. She says, Oh, over there, park over there, park over there. You know how many times I went over there and I couldn't park there? So, because I thought, No, I did this. I found the furthest spot from the door. There were plenty of spots between us, but I parked at the extreme end, and she looked at me like, what, are you crazy? I said, that's where I want to park. I got my way, but I can tell you it wasn't a fun day. It was not harmonious in any way, and to be honest with you, my soul hurt because the soul craves connection. And the connection is more important than the preferred process. Notice that Jesus didn't pray before he left this earth. He did not pray, Father, let the world know who I am by showing the church the best way to make me known. What he prayed was this. Make them one as I am and you and I are one so that the world will know. Make them one. Harmony takes precedent over process so here's what I believe I believe if Fred over here has been praying about a something that we should do together as a community of faith and he really thinks he's got God's word and maybe from God's view option A is the thing and God in all his wisdom it's the deal it would be the, the cleanest easiest way and, and Fred comes up with it and says A is the deal but there's two or three of us that go, no, 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 I think B's the deal. And and we really honestly believe that B's the deal. Let's go with B. If at that moment Fred says, I really think it's A, but for the sake of harmony, I'm gonna go with B. I truly believe that because God puts, puts harmony with precedence over process, I do believe that at that moment God says, Well, in its natural sense, A would be better, but because you're doing it together and B is the deal you choose, I'm going to make B work just as good as A. Because you're doing what I ask you to do together, because community is more important than process. That's why Paul then said in our verse be compassionate. Be compassionate means to actually be kind-hearted. It means to be generous in your belly is what it really means. To be generous in your belly, it means that, that when inside we are happy to bless each other, that what makes us happy is this. We walk instead of I win. We go together instead of I won my way. The soul blend is a Jesus priority. And it's holy people moving as one toward a holy purpose. And that's what he expects us to do. And that, my friends, is how we bless community. We blend our souls together. For that to take place, then, secondly, we've got to do this. We've got to zero in on one another's spirit. I have a friend that, that, that if, you, if you talk to him, that if you talk longer than two or three sentences, he does this. You can be talking, and then he'll start going like this as you're talking to him. There is a disconnect. He's got this whole FOMO thing, fear of missing out. There's something else. Am I missing on this conversation or who just walked by? And, and the attention's gone. I, I have another friend, and his deal isn't, isn't, isn't FOMO. Uh, his deal is that, that he'll, he'll come up to you and he'll say to you, how was your day? Or how are things going at your church? And I know it's a setup because if I take a breath, he comes in with everything he wants to tell me. It is his entree into what he wants to say. And then I don't get any other kind of conversation in other than, oh, that's great. And, and he starts dropping names and numbers, and, and and it's his deal. He's talking to me about himself, and he just needed someone to listen. They have another friend who knows how to zero in on my spirit. That's what Peter called, I want you to be sympathetic. It means to have a fellow feeling. It means that together we're experiencing a sensation. And for that to happen, we've got to be fairly quiet. We've got to be time intensive. We've got to be presence intensive. This friend never says to me as I'm talking to him, he never says, oh, I, I know what you mean. Because it's not about I, it's about the guy he's listening to. So he doesn't say a word, he just listens Sympathy is searching out what is in the mind of another so that we can connect to it and taking as long as we need to to get there. So if I'm talking to him, his name is Alan. We call him Tex. And if you talk to Alan, Alan will look you right in the eyes and there could be a crowd of people around but he never loses his focus on who he's talking to. He is set on who I am while I'm talking to him. And he listens. And I can see in his body language. I can see in his facial expressions. He is focusing. I mean, you can watch people and you know when they, when they drift off. You know when they start to yawn and the nostrils flare because they're covering it up. You know what's going on. But this guy, he's, he's, just, he's just into it. And then when I, when I stop a series of thoughts, he doesn't comment because he knows there's still more in there. And he knows that we can't we we can't handle silence, and he'll just stare at me and smile. And then I start belching up other stuff because I, I, I he's he's waiting for me to say something. So I'll I'll begin to express I, I continue to express, and by the time I'm done, I have really let go of everything that I would like to express, and then at that moment he still doesn't comment. Instead, he encourages and he affirms what he has heard. And what he has done at that moment is he's blessed me. He has zeroed in on my spirit. And that's why Peter writes, you need to love as brothers. Because as you zero in, what we're doing is that we are not treating each other as strangers. Because we can't, we can't be community. We, we can't blend our souls. We can't bless if we don't take time to be with each other. We can't do that. We can't treat each other as strangers. One time I, in Oregon, i I told some people from the platform I, I said at the end of a service, I said, Okay, now go find somebody and, and follow them home for dinner. Ha ha ha. So I gathered, gathered up my family, piled in our car, drove home, pulled in the driveway, and somebody pulled in behind me. <laughs> it's an acquaintance that I'd seen him before, his name is Scotty. Scotty had his full family with him. He he gets out of the car, door out, opens the door, and he says, Hey, time for dinner, I'll get some Kentucky fried, be right back. And we spent the afternoon, unexpectedly, with Scotty and his family. And that afternoon, I learned about Scotty's heritage. I, I knew a little bit about his heritage because we both got ordained at the same time, and he wore a kilt. So I figured something's going on there. <laughs> and then he told me about other things, like I didn't know that he cut hair for the Oakland A's. I didn't know that. And, and we learned life, he, and we zeroed in on each other. We shared our stories when we're too busy to zero in, our souls hurt, and we miss being blessed. So let me just get real practical. When's the last time any of you boomers looked at any of these millennials that may be sitting around you, young families or young adults, and, and you came to them and said, hey, let's have a meal together. I, I want to hear your story. I want to hear what's going on with you. You say, why should I come to them? Because you got money. You say, but why would, why would a 20-something want to deal with me? I'm like, I'm like 60-something. Why would they want to deal? Because they want to hear how you walked with Jesus this long. They want to hear the mistakes you made and how Jesus' mercy carried you through because they're just starting this thing. It's, it's what the Scripture said. Hey, you older folks, get with the younger folks and tell them how it's done, how Jesus has walked you through. But not only tell them as they ask, but then you've got to listen to them, to their story and you've got to affirm what you see in them and encourage them. You've got to listen and zero in to their spirit. You know, you wonder what you should do after now that you've retired? I'll tell you exactly what you should do. You should be an agent of sympathy. You should sympathize. You should bless. You should zero in. That's what you should be doing. You say, okay, but what about the people that that are no fun to be with? Do I have to to hang out with them? Yeah. Because you've got to bless the rough edges. That's why Peter said, don't match nasty words with nasty words or evil with evil. Don't do that. In fact, he said, what I want you to do is I want you to bless the people that don't bless you give them good even when they withhold it from you. So I'm reading the uh, last week or so the about a guy who was pulling into Starbucks and some guy cut him off and the guy who cut him off I don't know what his problem was for the day but then he gave him the, the middle finger salute and, and and then pulled into pulled into Starbucks and this other guy the driver not the not Mr. Fingerman but the other guy pulled pulled into Starbucks too and and followed him in and confronted him. And here's what he did. He walked up to him and said, "Hey, Anything you want on me. He what, really? Oh, yeah, I want to get you something. Oh, that's great. So he ordered something, and then they stood there, and they talked, and their souls blended, began to tell their stories. See, we're made to do that. That's the spirit of Jesus in us. That's why Peter would go on to say this, for it's commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and enduring it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Here's the bottom line, this whole blessing thing, the whole thing of the soul telling the spirit what to do, all of that stuff that you keep hearing me say, we're called to do this. We're not called to complain about the nasty people we met. We're not called to, to begin to plan some kind of revenge attack. We're not called to do that. We are called by Jesus. It's our job description. We are to bless. We are to give good. And if we do anything less than give good, we have just then cursed. So it takes an act of the will. We've got to decide to do this. Try to be aware every day, every moment, everybody you're with, even when you're driving down Peach Street, Even when you listen to the weather forecast and you want to cuss out the the weather forecaster because it's certainly his fault, you're either blessing or cursing. We are called to do this. Secondly, we are made to do this. Do you know that when we watch somebody suffer, there's there's a deep part of our brain right behind the temples that burns with activity. In fact, the more intense the distress, the brighter the burn. You say, okay, that's why I feel like I should do something. No, 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 no. No, no. That's another part of the brain. Because when you're feeling, when you're seeing what is happening and your brain saying, this, this is suffering, this is bad, there's another part of your brain that will determine whether or not you're attached to that person. So, so you would think that, 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 okay, I'm gonna respond, how am I gonna do that? Here's how it happens. If it's just, if it's just that you're you're sensing it, but you're your mind doesn't tell you you're attached to the person, you're very not likely to respond. But if suddenly your brain says, you're attached to that person, you're attached to them because they're part of us, they're part of the community, they're they're part of me, then you will begin to bless. We've got to think of each other as being part of us And I think that's why Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, because sooner or later you need to recognize, as you see all these people, you're me. So i got to love you that way. We're made to do this, and, you know, we're also blessed to do this. In the Beatitudes, when Jesus starts out in, in Matthew 5 and he says, blessed are, and you could say blessed are the unlucky, blessed are those who are grieving, blessed are those who are poor, Blessed are those that, that, that are hungry. He said, blessed are the unlucky. And the word that he uses for blessed there is not the typical word blessed that we'd use if we say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, or that I would say to you about, may the Lord bless you and keep you, may his face to shine upon you. It's, that's not the word that he uses. That's a typical God word. This is the word that actually just means happy, fortunate, or we would say Lucky. It'd be me saying to you, lucky dog, how'd you get front row tickets at the Cavs playoff game? How'd you do that? Lucky dog. What Matthew is writing is this, Jesus is saying, lucky you, that in your twisted, messed upness, you get to have the kingdom of God. You get to have comfort. You get to have something to eat. Blessed are you? So I will be just really straightforward with you and, and be candid with you because you know if you're expecting a perfect pastor, if you come here long enough, you know you only got one. So and I've always said to people: if you find a perfect church, don't go there because you'll ruin that. So Pam and I met this week at Panera to get dinner. And so I had a sandwich and, you know, they offer you an apple, which if you're healthy thinking or a little thing of bread or the chips, I go for the chips because they're chips. <laughs> I didn't realize how stressed I was becoming with some issues because what I try to do is I try to follow the scripture that says be anxious for nothing but with prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God with thanksgiving and so I try to empty that stuff out I try to be a man of peace but evidently I wasn't emptying fast enough because I got stressed and so we're talking and something came up and I got really stressed and, and, and then to just you ever get stressed and then there's just one more thing a stupid little thing just kind of just does it for you you ever try to open up some of those bags of chips and they refuse to open <laughs> ever do that So I've got this bag and it's not opening and there's a surge of adrenaline because I'm just stressed out now. And so I grab it and I went trying to open it and suddenly (laughs) I opened that thing and it was like chip confetti all over the place. I mean, it just went everywhere, people looking. And Pam stared at me like I had just turned into the Incredible Hulk (laughs) and I was going to destroy the place. She said, Well, what are you doing? You want a chip? And I'd look around to see if anybody from the church is in there. And I'd say something like, Yeah, I go to Grace Church. So honestly, I said to Pam, I don't know what's going on. So I went up and I said, can I have a container uh, for a takeaway? And I, I went up and I put my sandwich in and I said, I got to go. Can you finish? I'm sorry, I got to get out. So I went to do what I just, I figured I should do to try to get the stress out of me and I did two things that, simultaneously. I went to work out so I could just, because that helps me, I went to work out and pray. And that's where, where it's really great when you can work out and you can pray in the spirit because it's easier to speak in tongues than try to formulate words and God knew how, how I felt. And so then I, I went home and and when on the way home, I got to be honest with you, I felt extremely guilty. I felt shame that I wasn't the man of peace, the man of God that I should be. I, I felt that a part of me had twisted, and I and I and I felt condemnation. It wasn't from Jesus, it was just from me. And and I even you know I said I said to myself, Saint Francis of Assisi never had his potato chips bag blow up. It's just, what's wrong with you? So when I got home, uh, Pam and I started to talk, and what she did was this. She zeroed in on my spirit. And she shaped her compassion to connect with my twisted emotions. She blessed me. And I felt this surge of peace. And and the great thing about it is in that process she was also blessed because the very peace that she put into me then permeated the entire house. When we bless each other, we create a community of peace. It just permeates. And that is how a community of four generations thrives. That's what we're made to do. That's what we're made to be. Because when we share and shape our love to fit others' twisted lives. When our spirits kiss, everyone gets to see that love still works. And that is truly our sole purpose. Would you stand, please? I want to bless you. And so I'd like for you to take a posture, if you like, of receiving that blessing however you like. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious unto you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you. Have a great week.